Welcome to Where I Come From, a podcast devoted to Nebraska sports figures and the life experiences that shaped them. I'm your host, Dirk Chatlin, and this week's guest is Carol Frost, 1968 Olympian, former Nebraska track and field coach, and mother of national championship quarterback Scott Frost. We talked about her sports-crazy childhood in small-town Nebraska, training on the Nebraska fairgrounds because the university had shunned her, competing against the steroid-riddled Russians, what it's like coaching boys' high school football, and the backlash to Scott during his Husker career. I would never have gone to college, wouldn't have even considered going to college if it hadn't been for Mr. Lambrecht. We got followed by what I suppose was at least a branch of the KGB when we were walking through Red Square. Oh, that was a big moment for Nebraska track, I think, because that kind of put Nebraska women's track on the map. She did. I didn't want my son to have to go through that again. And I wasn't sure that Nebraska fans wouldn't turn on him again. This is where I come from. How's she, how's she adapting? You can't do that. <laughs> They're supposed to be quiet. We can't have any of your squeaky toys. Does she like the house? Oh, she loves the water. Does she go in the water? Oh, gosh. She just loves the water. Really? So, before we get started, let me give you a sense of place. It's a hot summer afternoon outside Ashland, where Larry and Carol Frost have a small ranch house on a lake. It's been in Larry's family for years. That squeaky noise? That's Kona, Scott Frost Chocolate Lab, who's spending most of the summer here. You'll hear a lot more about Scott in the second half of the podcast. But our focus is Carol, the 72-year-old self-made track star who still lifts weights every morning in the sunroom. She did power cleans a few hours before I arrived. First of all, how much, uh, how much memorabilia do you have around? Well, you know, not a whole lot. We've got two or three pictures of Scott and Osborne. We've got Larry's uh, Shrine Bowl trophy and we had a picture made with him and Scott both carrying the football and they in their uniforms and they look you know pretty remarkably alike and uh, we've got Steve when he uh, a few couple things of our older son Steve and then when he uh, was on Jeopardy <laughs> with him and Alex Trebek and then the you know that's I got quite a bit of Scott's stuff. Where's you know. your stuff? Uh, I don't have very much of my stuff. I've really? got No. Uh, I've got a couple medals. Uh, I have my Olympic uh, opening ceremonies uniform and the uniform that I wore, but some of it I gave to the university down at the track. I don't know if you've ever been in the back room at Bob Devaney Sports Center. Their Hall of Fame stuff? Their there? Hall of Fame stuff. And my actual uniform that I wore in Mexico City is, they've got it. Really? Mm-hmm. And all your medals and stuff like that? Where's. Oh, they, I you. tell you where they are. <laughs> we had, when we were in Wood River, we had a big, oh gosh, two feet by four feet medal display of Larry's medals and uh, Steve and Scott's medals and a thing of my medals with my Pan American gold and a bunch of the national medals and AAU stuff. And when we moved, we had no room for it. So actually, my medals are in a coffee can in that bathroom. They're in a coffee can in a bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) So you don't revere them uh, like some people might, huh? No. 
no, that's, you know, I have it up here. I have the memories. And so uh, the, the only three medals that we have on display right now are the three that I won in Lyon, France, here this last, uh, a year ago, August. Yeah. At, the, at the World. The um, World Masters. Yes. Was yeah. that your last? I just haven't had time to put them away, I guess, but they're just, <laughs> they're hanging in a room in, uh, in Lincoln. Was that your last competition? Yeah, I haven't done anything since then because, um, well, Larry's had some trouble with his back, and we've been fighting some back surgeries, and uh, I just I just haven't taken the time to, to I, I, you know, I would probably practice a few times at least before I went to the state games or something like that. But uh, there isn't, to be honest, and I don't mean to be braggadocious, but there isn't a lot of competition at my age group for people that throw. So the last time you threw, even recreationally, was when? Oh, uh, well, I had my grandson home this uh, summer, and I think he can be a thrower. He thinks he's a baseball player. I think he can be a thrower, so I took him over there across the road here at, just at the cabin and threw a couple times, but that's about it. Really? I just haven't, yeah. Do you miss it? I, I missed, uh, you know, I would like to say I missed the competition, but here in Nebraska, and, you know, I've gone to Iowa and some of those places, that it isn't really competition against anybody but myself. Right. Now, when I went to Lyon, that was a different story. There were people there that I had to compete against. They were... Uh, there was a gal there that actually threw in my flight at the 68 Olympic Games. Really? Yeah. From where? Well, at that point, she's Germany now, but she was from East Germany. But and there so were people there from uh, East Germany, Romania, Australia, uh, yeah, th and people that had thrown before. The gal in the discus was the Australian record holder at one point in the javelin. And you won... I beat her. Yeah. Yeah. But I couldn't beat a little Australian girl that was a heptathlete girl. She was 70. <laughs> <laughs> and she beat me by three centimeters in the shot. Otherwise, I would have had three gold. So you, you came up with two golds and a silver. Right. Uh, do you ever rib Scott about, you know, whose, whose accomplishments are more impressive? Oh, uh, not, <laughs> not, not really. No. <laughs> we, you know, we're kind of in two entirely different sports. Now, Larry... And Scott go back and forth all the time because Larry never will let him forget that he has a better hundred meter time oh, really? than Scott. Yes, and that gets brought up quite often. Do you? Okay, so, so I, I think you know people are aware of your accomplishments. The thing that I wasn't aware of personally, and I would imagine others are the same, is not understanding uh, how little opportunity there was when you no. started. No, there wasn't. So you're from Cedar Rapids, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. I just drove through there a couple weeks ago. Uh, mm -hmm. What, what, what did your, uh, what did your family do? What do you remember about growing up in Cedar my, Rapids? My, my mom and dad were. My dad was basically a sharecropper. He was a farmer. I got up at six o'clock in the morning or before to milk cows by hand before I went to school, and after I got home from school, walked beans, walked corn raked hay, you know, I was basically the farm, a farm girl. And uh, Cedar Rapids, we were lucky in a way in that small schools at that time had more opportunity athletically than the Class A, Lincoln, Omaha, Grand Island. Those people didn't offer much for girls at all. 
but small towns had um, town league softball teams. And so we played softball in the summer. And then we also had volleyball. That was our one sport that we competed, and we competed in the winter. So girls' volleyball would go before boys' basketball. Hmm. Yeah. And so, but you, you, you couldn't find, if you lived in North Platte or Grand Island or Fremont or any of the Class A schools, even Class B, they did not offer a single sport for women. What was your, what was your impetus, though? Like, what, how did you get into it? You know what I mean? I don't know. I, I, I just know that I always liked sports. My older brother, he was six years older than I was, and he was a basketball player. And uh, I've told this story many times. In, uh, when I was, he was 16, I was 10, because he's six years older than I was. He was a pitcher for the Midget Legion team, and he would make me go out in the backyard, and I would catch him at 10 years old. But I just loved it. And he'd shoot baskets, so I'd shoot baskets. And uh, it was probably in the millions the number of times that I threw my rubber softball off of the, the, the foundation of our farmhouse and fielded it and turned around and whipped it back like I was throwing to first base and throw it off the top and catching fly balls running. And I, I, just, I just loved doing it. You know, back in the day, people, kids used to go out and play 500 all the time, and that was boys, girls. So I, I don't know. I just love the, the difference is at some point they transitioned into being cheerleaders. I was a cheerleader. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there just wasn't, you know, I cheer, I played volleyball and then cheered for the boys' basketball team. But uh, most of them then had no more opportunity after that. You know, the kids that, the girls that played softball for Cedar Rapids, we were the Cedar Rapids Tigers. And if you played softball or volleyball when you graduated, that was it. There was no more opportunity. No colleges offered anything. Who were your heroes? I, my brother, probably, because that's all. There were no girls, no girl heroes to look up to. I can't, I can't think of one. That's interesting. Somebody has to do it first, don't they? Well, yeah, I just, you know, stop and think about it. Back then, th there were women, you know, uh, Wyoming Tyus and Wilma Rudolph, and some of those black sprinter athletes were making names for themselves, but that couldn't be my hero. You know, there was no chance that I could ever do that. And so I was lucky enough that my story is that uh, we had an English teacher named Randall Lambert, and he, young guy or old guy? Uh, I would say he was uh, probably late twenties. Yeah, and uh, we were fairly athletic, and we won our conference in volleyball, and we won everything in softball, and so he started a track team, and we were called the the uh, uh, Road Runners. He started a track team. Yeah, yeah. There was no track. There was no track. There were no track meets. The only time that we could compete was, you're too young to know, but COZAD used to host a Midwest AAU track meet. Okay. And um, he took us to COZAD, took the team to COZAD. And at that point, I was trying to be a hurdler and a half miler and threw just a little bit. 
And, uh, but when we went to Kozad, that was as far west as I had ever been. I mean, that was a trip from Cedar Rapids to Kozad. And uh, then he, he started me, and I don't remember, I guess I did everything. I did the hurdles, I did the half, and I started throwing the shot and the discus. And I don't know really, honestly, to this day, what his real motivation was, other than helping us to, you know, maybe reach some goals. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is. And uh, he took us then to uh, raise money and took us to the Junior Olympics in the Coliseum in Los Angeles, California. Really? Yeah. And that... Did you drive? You obviously we drove, just drove out. We just drove out. We went to uh, Grand Canyon, saw the ocean for the first time. You know, this was a real how old, experience. How old were you? I was a junior. So 1960... Between my junior and my senior year. 1962. Yeah. And so I went to... We went to the Junior Olympics in... Uh, California. I did not do well in the half. I did not do well in the hurdles, but I got second in the shot. And, you know, it's all would have been, could have been, but I threw far enough to win the discus, but my throw was out of bounds. And so when we came back from Los Angeles, I wasn't a hurdler or anything anymore. I started concentrating on throwing. Okay. What, what was that experience like? I mean, I've been to the Coliseum. And yeah. Granted, it's a lot older now, yeah. but that's a, that's a massive place. I mean, that's, it's for that's, a girl from Cedar Rapids, that's Nebraska. Right. That's, that's right. That whole, that whole experience was, I mean, like I had never been on a vacation. Now, that sounds awful, I know, but my parents were not wealthy. I had two older sisters that went to work in Omaha and a vacation was to go to Omaha to see them. That's the only vacation I ever had in my entire life. Up until, you know, up until after college. What did your mom and dad think of, think of, you know, your, your track adventure? They weren't really sold on it. They loved coming to watch volleyball and softball. They wouldn't miss a game for anything. And, uh, you know, they, we had a, a town team baseball team. And they went to watch the baseball games. Uh, that was part of the social climate in the summer. and uh, But they would never miss a, a softball game or anything like that. But track was new, you know. The track wasn't big for, for boys in high school. Hmm. We didn't even have a track. So we just ran on the grass around the How did you field. learn? I mean, at that age, I, I know you got better at it in college. But, but how did you learn? You know, you finished second in, in the nation in the shot. Mm-hmm. As a 17-year-old girl, how did you learn how to do that? You know, I'm, I'm stop, trying to, to think. I know we saw videos. So they must have had videos even back then. Hmm. You know, Teaching videos. Yeah. And uh, we had a little Super 8 camera. And so we could, you know, the little discs, the little Super 8s. And so I know I videoed myself a lot. So it was between... Mr. Lambrecht, who is still Mr. Lambrecht to us because he was our English teacher, uh, between him videoing and comparing and looking at things, we we were self-taught totally, completely self-taught in you know in the technique events. Wow, that's really something. Mm -hmm. uh, how many kids were in your high school class at Cedar Rapids? Fifteen. Fifteen. Yep. Slightly bigger than Rising City, the town that I'm from. But oh, yeah. Pretty much the same. In yeah. fact, they might have played each other. Uh, they could have. 
<laughs> we played we played Spalding Academy and Greeley and Wallback Primrose. That was our conference, Cedar Valley Conference. Cedar Valley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how did you end up at Nebraska? Well, uh, I got the uh, Regents. I took the you know all the tests or whatever you have to take, and I got a Regent scholarship. And so that was, I would never have gone to college, wouldn't have even considered going to college if it hadn't been for Mr. Lambrecht. And he encouraged some of us to go on, you know. And so I, I went into teaching because at that point that was still one of the few things that women, you know, very few women were trying to be doctors or engineers or anything else. So I, wanted, I went and majored in math and uh, physical education. And he encouraged us to go to Lincoln, and I got a Regent scholarship. Uh, my folks paid the first $180 to go. And then after that, I worked worked in the kitchen to start off with. At the? At the university. At the dorm cafeteria? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, that was my first job. And then I was a telephone operator. Really? Yeah, for the first two years. And then uh, after that, I was a residence uh, assistant. And so I got my room and board paid that way. You hear that squeak? That's Kona's dog toy. You're going to hear Kona's claws on the wood floor quite a bit over the next few minutes, too. In the midst of this, you are training pretty much by yourself. Yeah, yeah, pretty much by myself. He would, uh, Mr. Lambert would take us to... uh, Oh, we went to Southeast a lot. Lincoln High, some. Went to, took us out to Malcolm, where I met Larry, to, to throw, because we were not allowed on the university campus. I never threw once. Now, wait a second. Mr. Lambert, he, he went down to Lincoln, too? No, he, he took the principal's job at Garland. Okay. And Garland is just outside. So he was, uh, he was in Garland, and so we still worked out together, and he took us to national meets. And um, us more than just you. Yeah, we they, there was a couple gals. Renee Kletchka was a Lincoln girl that threw the discus. Uh, Jean Tui threw. Uh, Patty Webster was from Lincoln, and she was a half miler. And so we still had a group that was traveling as part of the Road Runners. And he he was a, a fundraiser. He he got us sponsored by Roberts Dairy. Really? And we had uniforms that said Roberts Dairy on them with the three little leaf things. And uh, but as far as working out at the university, he was there seldom. I ran up to the state fairgrounds from the dorm, and I was residence director one year at Pound. But that lady, that was the head of Pound did not like me coming back into the dorm sweaty and after I'd worked out. And uh, so she saw to it that I was transferred to Abel Santos for the last two years. Really? Oh, yeah. You basically got evicted. I did get evicted. So so every day you are, you are walking or running up to the state fairgrounds with your discus and shot Mm-hmm. And maybe your javelin. I hid those up there some. You hid them up there. Yeah, yeah. Because you could, I couldn't run up there carrying those all the time. So, so you, the you hid them where? Just behind a building or something. Nobody was going to find them at the state fairgrounds in the off season. And you're working out like in the in the pig horse barn. pig barn. Mm-hmm. Running hundreds and fifties and 
that. And when it was too cold, I ran the, the, the 13 flights of Pound Hall. What's the hard, what was the hardest part about practicing at the fairgrounds? Oh, you know, I didn't really have a circle. I threw off of the big cement circle that they put tractors on, you know, and so you didn't really have, I didn't feel like I could paint a real circle. I never had a tow board for the shot. And so, uh, you know, you had, I had a tape measure that I carried up there sometimes and it was, well, it was just something that I, I had to do. There was no other place. I, I did, like I said, I did throw at Lincoln High. I did go to Southeast because those places were open after the high school boys got done with their track practice then the circles were available, and so you could throw. And that was the same thing that happened when we went to Malcolm. And the, the only reason I met Larry was because he was stupid. <laughs> no, he was, he was always the last one. He never quit when the coach said practice is over. He was still out there running. Oh, really? Yeah. And so he was still out on the track when we got there. Everybody else was gone. But he was out there, and uh, I threw the, I threw the javelin, and him being the macho football player, you know, Nebraska scholarship and all of this, he was absolutely sure that he could throw the javelin further than I could, and so he came over and he wanted to throw the javelin. Had never done it before because javelin isn't right a, a sport in Nebraska, and so he threw the javelin back to me, and we met each other. And so you met each other throwing the javelin to yeah, each other. Yeah. At Malcolm High School. <laughs> that's that's, ro that's romance. Karen. Yeah, yeah, that is. Well, he he uh, proposed to me on the shot put circle at the Malcolm High School. Really? Yeah. How much? How much <laughs> further in the future was that? Uh, I want to say four years later, because he was still. I'm two years older than he is. Yeah. So he was when I was at the university. He was still a junior. And then my, uh, we didn't get, we didn't get married until after the Olympics, so it would have been about four years later. Carol, this is fascinating stuff. I mean, you're doing this all by yourself. It's just total self-discipline. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And what's the goal? Uh, well, you know, by nineteen, see, I graduated from high school in '63, and by 1965, I was national champion. You know, and um, well, I, I take that back. I, I, I'm lying there. By 1965, I was on my first national team because I had, jeez, uh, uh, that's been so long ago now. No, that's right. It was the yeah. summer. It was in 65, you, you went to Eastern Europe and toured. Yes, toured. yes. But I, and the re one of the reasons I made the team was because I had gotten third in the javelin, second in the shot, and I won, and I won the discus. And so I was, you know, I was on the team because I could throw, you know, three different things. And we went to, yeah, we were in Poland and uh, Germany and uh, Russia. That was cool. And which, you know, we went to Kiev and uh, through there. And at that point it was USSR. Now it's Ukraine. I didn't know that until all this stuff about the Ukraine came out, you know, and Russia's trying to take Ukraine back. and. I'm going to Kiev. That's where I was. I thought that was Russia, but it wasn't. It was Kiev was the Ukraine, 
and the stadium was full of, I, I, I can see that to this day too, it was the stadium was full of flowers and people, but on the far side was this mammoth uh, poster of Lennon. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we got followed by what I suppose was a, at least a branch of the KGB when we were walking through Red Square. Now, is, is this a whole track team, or is it just a, throw, this the United just a States throwing team. squad? No, this is a whole team. Okay. This is a whole team. Men and women. Uh, Jim Ryan was on that team. And uh, Al Order, you know, some names that that people would know, I suppose. Um, the Coliseum is one thing. Uh, Russia is quite another. Yes. Uh, yes. And yet there was resistance. Well... Not, not a lot. Yeah, well, there was resistance at the university. You know, see why? That? Why? Why do you think that was? Uh, the head of I was in physical education and math, and the uh, head of the physical education department was a lady named Dudley Ashton, elderly lady, gray hair, bun kind of thing, you know, and uh, she was absolutely sure that women should not compete. And so I had to fight through that. Now there were a couple of, of uh, instructors that did, were kind of, you know, seeing the future, I guess. And they even had, it was okay, I competed on the field hockey team. And it was okay to play field hockey, but it was not okay to do anything else. The competition was just not for girls. You could do synchronized swimming, but you couldn't compete in volleyball, basketball, nothing. Your favorite, your favorite performance was what? Oh gosh, I suppose winning the gold medal at the Pan Am Games. Yeah, because I had, Carol Martin was a gal from Canada who I had competed against a lot, and I beat her. And then there was this pretty good sized girl from Cuba that I didn't think I could beat, and I did. So. You were running into the, the Eastern Europeans and Russians and, you know, the communist bloc. Uh, yeah. They were already doing steroids oh. even at that point, weren't oh, they? Oh, yeah, yeah. There was, there was no chance for me to win in a throwing event. There was really no chance for any American thrower to win uh, because, you know, they were selecting kids at age five, the, the Soviet Union, the whole... The whole Eastern Bloc. They were selecting kids. You're a gymnast. You're a you know a track athlete. You're a this or a that. And and I'm very sure that they <clears throat> were probably not doing everything legal. You know <laughs> that might be an understatement. Yeah. Uh -huh. And and all the gals that were in the top flight were six one, six two, one eighty, one ninety, two hundred pounds, and not not fat. I mean, these were well built gals. And they knew how to do all the Olympic weights, and and I had barbells in the dorm. That was all I had. There was no access. That's one thing I didn't have access to any weight training. Really? No. I had a I had a bar with about forty five pounds, and one summer I stayed at Cedar Rapids, and the most I could put on the bar was about fifty five pounds. So I did squat jumps and all that kind of stuff, and. Uh, I had a couple little little dumbbells that I could do a few things with, but no where, weight training. Where were you getting this stuff, Carol? I mean, what, what did... 
You have uh, no advisor. You have no coach. You have no, no. nobody in front of you. I mean, I, I'm just trying to put myself in, in your position. It must have been a little bit like arriving on Mars and trying yeah, to figure just, out how to yeah, survive. Trying to read and you know do videos and stuff like that. But I, I wasn't. I was not wealthy either. You know, I can't. Like I said, I, I worked my way through college totally. And mm. so, uh, I, I remember it. I, I, we had. I had some barbells, little hand dumbbell kind of things that to work your your forearms and do flies with in the equipment room at Lincoln East is where I did that and uh, running up and down the steps at like I said at Pound Hall to build leg strength I had one one set of, of uh, barbells I remember in the garage at Cedar Rapids when I went up one summer to help take care of my mom and but it wasn't heavy enough you know they're, they're just no real weight training it was just making it all up you know did your parents ever come around on on your athletic stuff they like I said when I was when I was competing in Cedar they they did but my mom got sick she had diabetes and so they were never at a national meet mm. or anything like that so but they were in their they were in their sixties and mom was sick and not wealthy enough to fly anywhere to go to a national meet. So they didn't get to see you do it at the highest level, huh? No, no. One of the highlights was was the opening ceremonies in '68 in Mexico right. City. Right. What do you remember about that night? Oh gosh, I remember standing in line for a long time, <laughs> <laughs> waiting to get into the stadium. And uh, but you know, walking into the stadium was was awesome. Um, I remember more the closing ceremonies, maybe even than the opening ceremonies, because we weren't supposed to be allowed to go out on the track for the closing ceremonies. And there was a big moat kind of thing that kind of separated the stands from the, the track, and all the athletes bolted, and we went across the moat and got took part in the closing ceremonies. I suppose that, I remember that, maybe even more than the uh, than the opening ceremonies. I remember watching Bob Beeman jump his 29 feet or whatever it was out of the gym, you know. You were there for that? I saw it. Wow. Mm -hmm. And we stood and I sat and watched Dick Fosbury do his flop when nobody else was. And Black Power, I saw that. You were in the stadium when they did that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those things probably are my more more memorable, other than my own throwing, of the Olympics than, than even the opening ceremonies. Did it ever anger you that Nebraska has one of the best female throwers in the country and they won't let her practice in their facility? No, you know, I don't remember ever being angry. I just remember doing what I thought I had to do in order to make the national team. And at that point, I guess it wasn't a big deal that I couldn't throw right there at the university because I did throw. I had some other places that I could throw. I don't remember, you know, there's so much of the feminism out there and everything and, and females and women are always kind of playing the victim card. And I just never felt that way. I just did what I had to do. 
this is like right in the midst of, you know, like you just said, I mean, this is right in the midst of civil rights and the women's movement. Uh, you know, you when you when you competed in Mexico City, I mean, Tommy yeah. Smith and John Carlos are, are mm-hmm. doing a black power salute. Uh, I remember flying back into L.A., and I don't remember if it was from the Olympic Games or just at a different point, but I remember flying back in and seeing the fires of Watts burning. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think the the civil rights movement, in my mind, was quite a few years before the feminist mm-hmm. movement. You know, there there was there was still people saying that. See, at, in my Olympics, the longest race was in eight hundred meters, because they were absolutely sure that if you ran further than that, like your heart would explode or something. Hmm. So there wasn't women in the marathon. There wasn't a fifteen hundred meters. And so it was still trying to gain prominence, but uh, I don't think it was didn't gain as much notoriety as the as the civil rights movement. Did. Yeah, I, I guess I guess the reason I bring it up is you know I mean you are because of your talent you're sort of thrust onto the front lines of this stuff, um, mm-hmm. and particularly the feminist movement. And and is there. Were, were you resistant to participate in that or to be a symbol for that stuff? Or? I don't even remember it being around. Okay. I really honestly don't. About the only time that I remember being kind of involved with that was when I became the head track cross-country coach at the University of Nebraska. Yeah, 1976. Yeah, and at that point, you could really start to see. You know, by then... I forget when it was, maybe 1972, they had the first track meet at uh, state track meet. And uh, I could only give, it, it It became very obvious that when I could only give a $250 scholarship was the max that I could give at the university. And the men had full scholarships and they were flying everywhere. We were driving in vans. And so at that point in time, I think it became more obvious to me, you know, the discrepancy that there was between men and women's athletics. Was Title IX a big deal? Ti- absolutely. It was. So yeah. you knew about it right away. At, at, yes. You know, I think uh, if, if it hadn't been for Title IX, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had state uh, girls basketball, state girls volleyball, state track. You know, they pretty much had to do that. Hmm. Uh, okay, so let's let's back up. But a Title Nine had nothing to do with me. That you know, there was no Title Nine when I right. was thrown. Yeah, I mean, you were ten years before Title Nine. Nineteen sixty six, you're the national discus champion. Nineteen sixty seven, yes. you win gold at the Pan Am, Pan Am Games, right. which is sort of the Western Hemisphere. Yes. Uh, and then sixty eight, you go to the Olympics. Right. Do you remember qualifying for the Olympics? The um, I, you had to the, that was a problem because I couldn't just I couldn't just go to a qualifying meet like the Olympic trials and be you had to be first or second in order to qualify. You had to also because you know you didn't want people through there that were throwing 110 feet, and so the qualifying mark was 172 feet. And I threw 172.2. Your personal bests in in shot and discus, do you remember what they were? Yeah, 172.2 and a half was my best in the discus. And my best in the shot, I don't remember, it was 49 something. 
I don't remember exactly. Do you uh, do you ever look up how that stuff ranks as time goes on? Well, you know, the only thing I do is look up that <laughs> even now there's a lot of high school meets that I could still place at. I couldn't place in NCAA. Those kids, those girls are all, you know, they've come up throwing from the time they were seventh grade. They're in weight programs. They're in got great coaching. They're scholarship athletes. You know, I couldn't compete in the NCAA, but I'll look a lot of times at the high school meets and say, I still could have got third there. <laughs> You're talking about your marks back then or your marks now? No, my marks now. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because yeah. your marks back then. Oh, would, my marks would pull back then. I, yeah, yeah. Although there's some girls in Nebraska now that, you know, they've got some people that are throwing in the high 40s in the shot. And uh, I can't name them, but I, I don't know if there's a girl from Hebron or Superior or somewhere that has, was throwing like 160 or somewhere in there in the, in the discus. So they're getting better and better all the time. He goes to, uh, Larry goes to the University of Nebraska uh, and mm -hmm. plays for Bob Devaney. Yes. And uh, you, you graduated in 69. Mm -hmm. He was a couple years after that. Right. Um, and then you guys kind of start the coaching life, right? Right. Right. He graduated in 69. I had already been, um, see, he was redshirted. So not only is he two years younger than I am, but then we got that extra year of redshirt. And so I had, my first job was uh, Lincoln East. The year they opened, I opened Lincoln East. Really? Yeah, yeah. I taught uh, PE and math at Lincoln East. And then when he graduated, he took his first job at uh, Gothenburg. And, and then we, yeah, and I went to Gothenburg. And Did you coach at Lincoln East? Uh, no, we had, we had a little track team. And uh, I did coach a little track, and but it was all intramural kind of stuff. They didn't have that yet either then. You know, we're, we're still talking 69. And so there was no state, uh, and, and Class A was the last ones to come around. So there was nothing for those kids to do except maybe go to a Junior Olympic meet now and then. Hmm. That's about it. So did you, did you coach at Gothenburg? Started a volleyball team. Yeah, what do, you, what, do you mean, what do you mean you started a volleyball team? Gothenburg didn't have, I, I said, Class B. They didn't have volleyball? Anymore? No, no. The A and B did not have sports, period. You could be in uh, pep club. Now, I understand maybe the agriculture. I don't, I don't understand the reasons for that. What were the reasons for that? Women did not compete. I don't know if they were thought to be too frail. But why were A and B the last to do it, I guess? I don't know. That's a good question, because every little town in the Cedar Valley Conference, Primrose, Belgrade, Walbeck, Greeley Sacred Heart, Spalding Academy, Spalding, all the people that we competed against had volleyball teams in high school. And we, we went around, we, you know, in the summer, they came to Cedar, we went there, we had softball. The small school, Malcolm did, Malcolm had volleyball. So but, you started the volleyball team at Gothenburg? Yeah, because they didn't have one before. And I don't remember where we found our competition because that would have mean that there had to be somebody else to play against. But I started a volleyball team and a track team at Gothenburg. What was that like? There, there are plenty of girls that want to do it. They really? just couldn't. They just couldn't do it. Yeah, I coached in the first state track meet uh, a little gal by the name of, I, I can't remember, it was Sue Peterson, I think it was Sue Peterson, won the 100-meter the dash at Gothenburg in the, 
Yeah, and Class B. You guys moved around a lot. Then you went yeah. to Crete. Yeah, we did. Um, we were there uh, three years. And then Kansas City, right? Yeah, we were only in Kansas City for a year. That was that was not probably that. Just they had no money. They they couldn't even afford to run things off for teachers. <laughs> I mean, it was that was bad. And then uh, we probably would have stayed there. Probably would have gutted that one out. But Larry got offered the job at Lincoln Eye. And so that you couldn't turn down. And so he got offered the job at Lincoln High. I got jo offered the job at the university. How does that come about? Because, you know, 1976, I think, was the first year of the, of the Nebraska women's track team. Yeah. And they had one year there, and then you took over. Right. Uh, how did that come about? I, I don't know if that guy left. I don't okay. remember the circumstance of, of why he was... But anyway, Larry took the Lincoln High job, and the, the university job was open, and so I was indoor, or outdoor, indoor, and cross country. Did you have, you were still competing, but not internationally, not, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I, went to, I went to the nationals, but uh, the 72 was the uh, Olympics in Germany. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and Steve, our son, was born in 72, and so I didn't compete you know, after that. Do you so. do you have any second thoughts about that? I mean, because now uh, athletes just keep going. Yeah, they know? do. I know. But now by that time, we both, Larry was into his coaching career, and I was, you know, we were raising a family. And so, no, I, I, I don't have any regrets about that. Hmm. Um, you, you kind of, I mean, you really got the Nebraska women's track team going. Uh, what was that like? Because like you, like you mentioned earlier, there were not exactly a ton of resources. No, but that uh, that first year was when Bob Devaney opened. And okay. so we got to, uh, we didn't have to run. And when Larry was on the team, he ran down in Mushroom Gardens. And we actually competed, didn't ever actually have a meet there for the women, but we ran there a little bit. But it was really great when Devaney opened. That was something, you know. And then we were able to host meets and uh, attract a little better, you know, athlete. At that point in time, UNK, better known as Kearney State, had were were getting all of the athletes. Was it my first year or my second year there? Second year there, we were able to bring in Cindy Tatum, Sounder Overmeyer, and Nancy Kindig, who were the three best athletes in the state, and we got them to come to Nebraska and stole them away from Charlie Foster, who was the head Foster coach. Foster Field, yeah. Yeah, who was the head coach at Kearney. You also brought in, two years later, you brought in Merlin yeah. Otte. Yeah. How we, did you find Merlin Otte? Well, Larry ran on the track team with under Frank Savine. Frank was not real happy with us, with the women being in his, in the Bob Devaney Sports Center, but that's another story. But anyway, <laughs> Larry was kind of my liaison between Frank and the women's team because Larry had run for Frank uh, uh, during the indoor season. And Frank, at that point, was getting a lot of Jamaican athletes. And Larry knew a couple of the guys on the Jamaica, from the Jamaican side, and they told, I don't remember if they told, I think they told Frank or they told the athletic department somehow that there was this great, 
this girl that was a really, really good athlete and they'd like to see her come to Nebraska. So it was the Frank Savine Jamaica connection through Larry that got Merlene. And we, we almost lost her. I, I think the story is out there, but uh, she was running. She had never had track shoes on. She They ran barefoot, but she uh, they knew that that she was going to be a star. And she was in Montreal running in the Junior World Games. And we got a call. Uh, he had a nickname, Fox. Fox Bryant? Yeah, yeah. He was up there covering it. And he called back to the university because we actually had a letter of intent signed by Merlene. We had gotten that all done. So you knew she was going to be we a star. We knew she was going to be a star. We knew she was supposed to be coming to the University of Nebraska. And we got, and Bryant was up there and he said, you better do something because the Texas Women's University is hot on her trail and they are going to get her to go to Texas. Because at that point, there weren't enough, there wasn't enough uh, authority probably behind a letter of intent to force someone to still come. There wasn't even an NCAA back then. It was right. AIAW. And uh, so I got on the plane and flew to Montreal and sat in the hotel lobby waiting for him to come down and confronted him and told him that Merlene was coming to the University of Nebraska. You confronted the Texas coach? Yeah, Texas Women's University. I don't remember his name. He was He's a big name, though, because tex at that point, Texas Women's University was very, very strong pro track program. And Merlene would have done really well there. So that was a big moment for you. Oh, that was a big moment for Nebraska track, I think, because that kind of put Nebraska women's track on the map. She did. The very first time she ran, she ran the 200 meters at Nebraska, and it was just, it was jaw-dropping because nobody in Nebraska <laughs> ran like Merlene did. It's funny because it's it's become a very international program since then. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's... Yeah. This is not yeah. small-town Nebraska kids going to the track. I mean, this is no, no. kids from all over the world. No, no, absolutely. We had two Jamaican girls, and they kept that going. You know, even after Coach Pepin, they still had, you know, a couple Jamaican girls. I don't know about how many men, but now, yeah, they've got this last kid from uh, England, that uh, the discus thrower, hammer thrower, I can't say his name right now. But, yeah, they get them from all over the place. But not, not just them. If you, you watch the NCAA track meet, every university has foreign athletes running for them. And then you gave it up. Three, four years? Three years? Yeah, we, were four, we went four years. Four years. Yeah. What happened? And, well, you know, at that point, Steve was uh, going into second grade. Scott was going into kindergarten. It had gotten big. You know, when, when we first started... Uh, I was only half time, part time. I coached all three sports for two thousand dollars, for the whole, for all of them. And you coached all three sports at Nebraska for two thousand dollars. That was my paycheck okay. for the year. Really? And uh, you know, and then it had gotten bigger, and we had Merlene, and we were getting kids out of Illinois, and Jenny Gorham out of Kansas City, and we were getting uh, Tammy Essington out of Illinois. We we had gone not you know international, but also national, and we were recruiting kids out of California. And this the, is a long way from competing with Carney State for the yes, same it, girl. Yes, it was. And so it just got to the point where 
again, I made a choice for a family, for the family and for the kids and their school because it's just, it was just too much. You're gone all the time for in the fall, you're gone in the winter for, and then you're recruiting besides. And now we can travel to go recruit. And uh, it just got to be more than I wanted to do and still raise a family. That had to be hard on you. I mean, I know there was, there was a lot of women in your, you know, in similar circumstances who had to make decisions like that. But, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're 30 years old and you're, you've started this program and really gotten it going. And mm -hmm. that had to be difficult for you to give it up. Well, it was in a way, but, uh, you know, I suppose, <laughs> I suppose then I was following Larry and his career and we went from uh, <laughs> we went from University of Nebraska to O'Neill. Yeah, you know, and uh, and O'Neill is where I, I I really didn't give up coaching because ever since then I've coached football and and or track most of the time both. How did the football thing come about at O'Neill? So 1981 was your yeah. first year coaching football, yeah. at least officially. Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't get paid there. Okay. No, okay. I, I was a volunteer. How did that happen, and why did it happen? Well, Larry was, you know, uh, he had come from Lincoln High. Yeah. And Lincoln High, you've got freshman program, JV program, sophomore program. you got a ton of coaches. And we go to Lincoln High, and it was him and a line coach. You go to O'Neill. 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 I'm sorry. We go to O'Neill, and it was he, uh, him and a line coach. And he, you know, he... he Anybody that knows his coaching style knows that he, he loves to throw the ball. And so he needed a receiver coach. And I had been throwing to him ever since he was at the university and playing receiver for Devaney and Osborne. And so I pretty, I had been throwing outs and horns and hooks and everything. And uh, so he recruited me to coach the receivers, volunteer, and then um, on the defense, you know, he coached the linebackers, and then the guy we had coached defensive line pretty much, and uh, and I coach. I I just was defensive end coach and receiver coach forever. And did you did you have to learn how to do that stuff? Well, he taught me that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I I didn't go look. I didn't go searching. I mean, he said, this is what I want you to do today. <laughs> That's it. No more, no less. Just do this. <laughs> and so, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being in track. I'm, I'm a technician. You know, I, and I throw things. Teaching is teaching, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. And you were still teaching in school at that, at that yeah. point? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. At O'Neill, I taught, I taught math. I've always taught math and PE, both. And so, uh. That was the only thing I coached there, though. I didn't coach volleyball or track at uh, at O'Neill. You guys go from O'Neill to Palestine, Texas. That was an experience. Why was that an experience? Well, first of all, Texas football is huge, and uh, Larry has you know he he deserves tons and tons and tons of credit too because there aren't a lot of husbands that would do what he did. And um, in Texas, I also was an assistant. And the, but the superintendent down there said, she's not working in the program unless she's paid. 
And this was an old school, uh, before integration. Really? Superintendent. Yeah. Well, they, I don't remember. Oh, so the superintendent came from before. Yes, yes. No, this. Because this is 1984 or something like that. Yeah, and you would think that integration was well on its way. But we had a black homecoming dance. We had a white homecoming dance. Uh, Larry's one assistant football coach was not allowed to play at the country club unless he caddied. Wow. So there was, it, it, it was integrated, but. Not fully. Yeah. Yeah. And so I coached again for him. I coached receivers and defensive ends. And then I had both boys and girls uh, head track in Texas. And we were about 80% minority in really? the, on the track team. Now, on the football team, I, I was probably closer to 50 50. But the reason we left Palestine, because that was a good job. You know, he was athletic director, head football coach. I was teaching and doing track and, you know, making good money in Texas. But uh, his dad died, and his mom was here all by herself. Larry's an only child. And so we left Texas to come back to uh, McCook. Hmm. And uh, McCook didn't go as well as we wanted to football-wise. And so uh, he took the job at Wood River and uh, stayed there for 10 years and... When did you, re- okay, this is where your sons come into the story. I think. Yeah, yeah. When did you realize that, I mean, they were both good athletes, mm-hmm. but Scott in particular, even mm-hmm. at a really young age, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When did you realize he was a little extraordinary? Well, in Texas they play, and we let our kids, in Texas they play Little League football starting in second grade. And so Scott was a second grader, Steve was a fourth grader when we were first down there. And uh, on his, uh, he was in the second and third grade league. And so he was one of the younger ones on that team. So he didn't really get to play running back, he played wing back. And uh, he went like 70 yards the first time he touched the ball. Really? Yeah. So, you know, and then from then on, uh, everybody, he just had speed. You know, when he played little league soccer, he'd just run down the field ahead of everybody and kick it in because nobody else could run with him. And so he was, uh, yeah, we, we knew early on. I have a book back here that shows you how nuts we are. In his baby book, I started timing 40-yard. This is when we were at uh, the Devaney Center. I have 40-yard indoor uh, 40 times from the time he was two years old till he graduated in senior. Really? Yep. <laughs> well, Larry's a football coach. You know, I didn't time hundreds. We timed forties. So I wonder what his forty time was at two years old. I'd have to look it up. It was nine point two or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. I, I've got it written down. I don't remember exactly. What, what was, it was your parenting style? How how would you characterize yourself as a parent of two boys? Were you tough? Know. Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think so. You know, parenting the same way we taught, you know, kind of no nonsense and only have to say it once. Because in the classroom, if you have to say something 10 times, you've lost them. So you kind of have to have that say it once and and mean it. But uh, I don't know. Other than that, they, we, we let them, you know, they played everything. They played 
baseball. We even made them wrestle. <laughs> they didn't want to wrestle. Uh, they wrestled, they played baseball, they played basketball, football, track, you know, the whole thing. Scott won when he was the first year we were in McCook, so it would have been his sixth grade year. We went to uh, the Junior Olympics. He won the, uh, the pentathlon. So people think that, you know, when he threw the shot and won the all gold as a senior, that maybe he had never thrown the shot before, but he'd been throwing the shot since he was in sixth grade. So, so he, he hurdled. I'm trying to remember everything that he did as in high school at Wood River. He hurdled. Yeah, he went, ran the shot. Yeah, threw the discus a couple times, but discus is much more technical, and so he didn't have time to run the 100-meter hurdles, the 300-meter hurdles, uh, throw the shot, relays, you know, train, the whole works. He was more of a runner still. And, uh, but he was strong enough and, and explosive enough and had had some training all through, you know, from the sixth grade on. And so he, th when he, he threw over 60 feet and uh, he will still tell his, uh, his linemen, you know, there's a couple linemen that played in front of him at Nebraska that also threw the shot and they didn't beat him. <laughs> but he was very explosive. You taught him shot. Yes. Was and he, hurdles. I, 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 I was the hurdle coach, too. Was it hard teaching him? I mean, you know, I imagine, no. I imagine two strong-headed, strong-willed people. Yeah, no, no. He was, he was very willing to listen. And uh, it didn't have much time, you know. He didn't throw the, the shot putters are out there for an hour and a half throwing, where he might throw for 20 minutes, you know, three times a week or something like that. But, uh, He's got a really, I mean, I, I wish I could have lived, I wish I would have been old enough to see him in high school play because there was a, there was a, a publicity, a fanfare around him that you don't see very often around. I think that was partly because, you know, uh, Larry, I don't know, he won like 80% of his games in Wood River. We just didn't lose, hardly ever, and uh, especially not after the first year. And uh, he was throwing the ball when other people weren't throwing the ball. And, uh, <clears throat> and then ran the Veer offense that he got from Houston. And so the quarterback was highlighted. And so Scott got to, uh, got to run and throw. And then ESPN came to Wood River. And he was on the cover. and Not on the cover, but you know he, they highlighted him as the... Uh, the Old Spice Athlete of the Year, and you know there was just a lot of hype around it. What do you? How did you handle that as a as a parent? Try to keep him, you know. Try not to let. You know, Larry had a lot of notoriety when he was in high school, and uh, outstanding athlete in the Shrine Game. Uh, one of the few eight man players to get a full scholarship to the University of Nebraska. Uh, played on the Big 8 championship team. It wasn't like neither one of us had ever done anything. And I had been an Olympian. No, I so know. I, in some ways it complicates it that you, you did have those experiences. But, but do you recall like handling that or dealing with that? No. You know, he, he, Scott was really good about it. He was very good about trying to stay humble. And, uh, you know, his goal was to play in the NFL. And... Uh, and we did it. We did some things, you know. We made sure he was in the weight room. Uh, we made sure he was, you know, 
never missing practices and doing all that kind of stuff. Larry was the one that uh, pretty much forced both of our kids into speech classes because he knew that there was a good chance that someday they'd be in front of a microphone. And so they had to, they had to take speech at Wood River. Um, he chose Stanford originally, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of backlash to that. Yes. What do yes. you What do you remember about the backlash? Oh, uh, you know, we tried to avoid it, and we were lucky at that point that there weren't as many blogs. Right. There wasn't social media wasn't as heavy as it is now, and uh, you know, Larry played under Osborne, and and he was really the one that was leaning for him to go to Nebraska. I think I was probably more on Scott and, you know, Bill Walsh came to our house and sat in our house, got lost at the Grand Island Airport, couldn't, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't find the Grand Island Airport. Uh, no, wait a second. He, what do you mean he couldn't find the Grand Island Airport? I don't know. He got lost at the Grand Island Airport. He had to... Uh, he flew into Grand Island? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he came to our house in Wood River. And then I don't know if it was on, I think it was just on his way back out. He could not get back to the without asking directions. He couldn't find that. You know, there was no GPS on your phone at that point, and so. What was it like having Bill Walsh in your living room? That was he was a great guy, you know. He was he was a good recruiter. It was uh, you know him. We watched all of his Super Bowl games and wins, and and uh, you know he's very convincing. He he had Scott and me convinced that he would be could play quarterback in the NFL Uh, Larry was more level-headed and probably thought he should go play for Osborne and eventually he did so Um, how how did you guys handle that as a family though because there was a lot of resistance and I'm sure Mm -hmm. you heard things even from people in town yeah that you had to wonder a little bit who your friends were, probably. Yeah, you know, not so much that. There wasn't, uh, I, I just don't remember it being that bad with him going to Stanford. The only time that we kind of had to shut the radio off and the TV and everything else was uh, when uh, when uh, Osborne, well, it was, this, it, actually it was Central Florida when the, the fans booed him. And, and at that point, it wasn't for us. It was trying to keep Scott's head on straight because that was really, 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 really tough on him. And we were trying to just help him get through it and not really, I don't think, thinking about ourselves at all. Um, that was 97. 96 mm-hmm. was the Arizona State game. And, yeah. um, that that had to test you guys too. Yeah, yeah, it did. You know, that's... Uh, but that's Nebraska football, you know. We, Larry played Nebraska football. He knows, you know, what that was all about. And uh, you know, we were still in a small town, and nobody in Wood River was going to come up and and bash us, at least not to our face. Yeah. Um, for 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 years and years, you were in the competitive circle. Uh, you're the one who has sort of your own destiny in your hands. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you're sitting up there in the seats uh, in a stadium with 75,000 people, mm-hmm. and you have very little control over what happens. Mm-hmm. How did you adapt to that as a mom? That, that was hard. Yeah, that was that's way harder. And I think anybody, any parent will tell you that that's way harder than doing it yourself. 
because you don't have any control at all over, you know, uh, there's still, a, a, we've, we've got the video of the Orange Bowl game where we beat uh, Tennessee, yeah. you know, and actually won the national championship game. And it shows both Larry and I up there and uh, Scott pitched the ball to Amon and I'm not sure if it was whose fault it was, but the ball laid on the ground and, and there's the video shows Larry just smacking his hands together like a coach would. And uh, because we knew if we didn't win like by 40, we weren't gonna win the national championship. And there was the ball laying on the ground, and it was yeah, that was hard. It was a lot of a lot of fun moments, but the Missouri game was almost unbearable. Were you there? Yeah, yeah, we were there, and uh, I was absolutely sure. I even told Larry's mom was sitting next to us, and uh, they were in the far end zone is where the play took place, and you know it's a minute and what fifteen seconds, and we got to go sixty yards, and. Uh, I turned to Opal and I said, oh no, it's all going to start over again. Because I was just sure that had if we lost that game, it would be Arizona State all over again. And luckily we won. That's interesting that you were thinking about it in terms of what the negative response is going to be. Mm-hmm. Why do you think you thought of it that way? Because we knew what Scott had gone through. That was, you know, a lot of fans think that when they say things about athletes that that it doesn't hurt. But uh, he, he struggled with that, with people at Nebraska, you know, going into a restaurant and people saying terrible things about you. And that was, uh, that was hard. And we didn't, I just didn't want him, I didn't want my son to have to go through that again. And I wasn't sure that Nebraska fans wouldn't turn on him again. Did it permanently stain your feelings for living here and the oh, no. fan base and all that? No, absolutely not. We understand. I mean... <laughs> As a parent, I'm not sure I would understand. Well, it, it was hard. You know, we, we still, Larry and I will snicker <laughs> when people come up and say, I wasn't one of the ones who booed him. <laughs> And we're going, oh, you were one of the ten, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And we will snicker about that. But, uh, no, you love your kids and you don't want them to be hurt. And that's that's just the way it is. But we love Nebraska. You know, that's not not ever going to change. You know, his speech lessons paid off in the press conference after the Orange It did. It did. That's exactly right. And they're paying off now as a, you know, him being a head coach, so... And we'll give we'll give credit to Liz Hodwalker. She was his uh, speech teacher at Wood River. This is Hodwalker. <laughs> that's huh? right. Yep, that's who it was. Um, he had a chance. Well, I don't know if he had a chance, but there there was you know some discussion five years ago about him coming back and you know joining Bo Pelini's staff. Yeah, uh, I don't think any of that ever was serious talk. You know. How how what would that be like for you? Oh, I don't know. I don't even want to think about that one. I, I have no response to that because that—that's <laughs> a hurdle that you'd have to, uh, <laughs> we'd have to cross, you know, at a later date. But that's not something I'm going to speculate about right now. Would it be besides f- that's not way in the future? And would and, it be fun to envision? Can I ask it that way? Uh, it would be fun to envision if you could ensure that he would win ten games every year. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, no, because <laughs> nine's never enough. <laughs> what? 
what did he get from you, and what did he get from Larry? Oh gosh, I think he got a sense of humor from Larry, for sure. You know, because I, you know, the kids at, at uh, that Larry still substitute teaches, and we'll go to the airports. And people will say, "Who's the funniest teacher I've ever had?" And so I think, <laughs> I think that's what he got from Larry, as well as you know how to handle kids, because I, I've never heard, and this comes from Osborne, I'm sure, I have never heard a four-letter word come out of my husband's mouth at a football game or a practice. And I think handling kids and how to handle uh, controversy, he obviously got. From his, from his dad. And for me, I don't know, maybe just a, you know, stick to itiveness and never give up kind of attitude. Because you were a little bit more... I probably had to struggle more than Larry did. Really? Well, you know. Just because of the gender stuff? Yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, you just, uh, the, nothing was laid out. I didn't get a scholarship. I, I washed dishes. You know, and he got a scholarship and, and free food and plane rides. And so my attitude, I think, of, of making making things happen for yourself. Did you, did you tell the boys what you'd done? I mean, did, I know they know about it, but did they? Did, was it part of your normal conversations as they no, grew up? No. Why not? I don't know. You know, like you said, where where where's the memorabilia? I think it's I think Larry and I both live more in the now, and not so much in the past. The reason I ask though is because I would think that your story and your experiences would have been a pretty valuable resource as a parent. Yeah, but you know, I was too busy coaching them, because I coached those I coached both Steve and Scott all through their junior Olympic days. And then I coached them, you know, they, it, it was a real family deal because I'm coaching football and track all the while they're in junior high and high school. And so the conversation was probably more about them and how to get, you know, how to get the most out of their ability more so than, you know, what we did. Hmm. Did you teach them how to throw or did Larry? How to throw? Yeah. Uh, football? Yeah. I mean, oh, I think he just kind of, that's that's just kind of natural, just isn't it? innate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's been I, he's been to every every quarterback camp there is. You know, he went to Stanford. He went to Colorado State. He went to Nebraska a couple, two, three times. He went to BYU when BYU was throwing so much. Yeah. So he's had a lot of instruction in that regard. What was your best sport? You know, I don't know. I I told I usually tell everybody that if I was in this day and age, yes, I would. I my favorite sport to play is basketball. My second favorite is softball, and my third is track. But the opportunities weren't there. There was nowhere to go to play basketball or softball. You competed in basketball though. Into the nineteen seventies, like in yeah, AAU just just AAU stuff. Yeah, yeah. I had a sweet jumper. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, there was again AAU, and that was it. Um, do you have any regrets from your athletic career? Uh, no, other than just wishing that I would have had uh, the opportunities that kids do now. You know, I remember. Cedar Rapids High School had a small gym 
a few seats on the bottom, and then they had a balcony. And I remember many nights going in and watching the boys' basketball team practice and thinking to myself, I, I could do that. Thanks for listening to Where I Come From. You can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app or check us out at omaha.com slash podcast. Thanks to Bird Creek for the music. If you have feedback, feel free to email me at dirk.chatelaine at owh.com. I'm going to send you out the same way that I left the Frost House. While I was talking to Carol, a FedEx truck pulled up and left a package at the door. Now, you got something here that says... Husker season tickets. Two for Larry and Carol, two for Scott.